share with you from Acts chapter 3. I will tell you that uh, several of us in the Wesley Network there in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, uh, we have four churches represented there, we're all together in a study of the book of Acts. And so this is a part of a study that I've been in for the last several weeks. And I want to share with you what the Lord's showing me from Acts chapter 3. You will remember that this is Peter and John's experience of having the power of the Holy Spirit flow through them in healing a man who had been crippled from birth over 40 years of experiencing this crippledness, taken day after day to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he would beg for alms. That was his livelihood. That was his only hope for existence. And so there he was on that day, and I won't read the beginning verses in chapter 3. We'll pick it up in a minute in, in verse 6. But what I want you to see is that Peter and John, now on the other side of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Spirit no longer just an outside force, but now, just as Joel said in chapter 2 in the prophecy of this day, the Spirit has come on the inside. They are experiencing the promise that Jesus made. Look, it's better that I ascend to heaven. It's better that I go, because where do you get a load of who I'm going to send? This preference within the Trinity. Jesus saying, you wait until you experience the Holy Spirit. Because with him, I will be with you always. Better than when I was here for the three years of ministry. But you'll do greater things through my Spirit than I've done. And now Peter and John are beginning to experience that. Their wings are beginning to move. And they're getting ready to soar in Spirit-filled ministry. And so they're on their way to the temple to pray, such an important aspect of this miracle. They're on their way to the temple because it's the prayer time. And while going to the temple, they meet this man, and Peter says, look at us. Look at us. He wants their eye. He wants his eyes. Let's pick it up. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. I want to stop right there. Maybe you've heard this story of uh, the church kind of spreading its wings in Rome uh, as uh, the Pope has amassed a huge fortune. And several people are touring the fortunes of the Roman church. And uh, uh, some of them included missionaries working with the poorest of the poor. And, and at one point, someone speaking for the Pope said, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none. And one of those missionaries said, and unfortunately, they can no longer say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Kind of reminding us, that story reminds us of the importance of spirit-empowered ministry. Silver and gold have I, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Feet and ankles, legs that had never, ever been used to walk. Can you imagine this creative miracle that just took place? 
No muscles formed. Crippled from birth over 40 years. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Verse 8, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. Listen, this is the key. Walking and jumping and praising God. Walking and jump. Maybe you grew up like I did in Sunday school, singing that's old. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Man, that's exactly what happened. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. All right, I want to stop right there, and then we're going to continue. A lot of reading of Scripture this morning. Here is the premise for this message. The message is called the right response. And the premise is that the response of this man who received spirit-empowered healing was able to walk for the first time in his life, and the Bible says that he was over 40. The right response was walking and leaping and praising God. It wasn't in the beginning when Peter said, look at us, and said, silver and gold have I none, and reached out his hand and said, take my hand, and then started to pull him up. The right response would not have been, hold on here, Peter and John. How dare you not honor my crippledness? That was not the right response. That that we should just honor his crippledness and leave him in that state. The right response was not after the healing. Thank you very much for my healing, but I've got to go back to my seat and beg for alms. The right response would not have been for him to say, hey, it's awesome that I'm healed, really grateful, but I'm a beggar. And uh, man, clock's ticking. i uh, got to get back to my job begging. That would not be the right response. The right response would not have been for the man crippled at the gate called Beautiful to get out his smartphone and to tweet, OMG, I just got healed. How nice. That is not the right response. I believe the only right response for the man who was healed at the temple gate called Beautiful by the Holy Spirit of Christ is to rise up, to walk, and to leap, and to praise God. If you believe that's right, say amen. 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 All right, now, what follows, starting with verse 11, is, and this is priceless for us, there's so much here, what follows is Peter's explanation regarding why the man who was crippled was healed, and why it's important and how we should respond to this sign and this wonder. So here we are at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Peter and John are just beginning to experience this new age of Pentecost, 
where the Spirit's no longer outside as a force, but now, as prophesied in Joel 2, the Spirit has been put in them, flowing through them to others. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is in them, and Peter and John are explaining what Spirit-filled ministry looks like and why it's important. So that's important for us, right? We need to see this as a template of what Spirit-filled ministry looks like and why it's important. So here's the premise of the message, the right response When we get to the end of this message, the question is going to be to me and to you, what is the right response in light of what Peter has shared in this message? What's the right response? So let's read this together. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 11, I'm going to read down through 21. I love this first line. While the beggar held on to Peter and John. I love that. He is not moving from these guys. Man, they reached out their hand. They pulled him up. Muscles immediately formed in his legs, his ankles, his feet. And that sent him spinning in wild, exuberant celebration. But he is not leaving them. And in fact, if you move on in the book of Acts, which I encourage you to do, read this. When Peter and John are hauled into the Sanhedrin, who is still right next to them, when they're experiencing trial and persecution, he's not leaving these guys. He's right there. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And then again, if you'll continue in this section, this chapter, even into chapter 4, you'll see that Peter reinforces his message with Old Testament 
prophetic messages. This is the storyline of God. Really, really. Such an important chapter to give us a glimpse as to what spirit-filled ministry looks like since the gift of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Okay, so let me walk through this outline with you. The first part of the outline is refocus. And that's what Peter is asking the crowd of listeners, watchers, to do. He recognizes immediately that their focus is on the wrong thing. They're focused on Peter and John as if it was their power that caused this man to be healed. And so the first message is, hey, why are you staring at us? Now, here's what's important. This gives us a glimpse into the template of what spirit-filled ministry should look like. And and the first thing for us to be aware of is this. Spirit-filled ministry always, always, always turns the focus to Jesus Christ. Always. That's the beauty of the Trinity. There's preference for one another. The Spirit always prefers Jesus. And so, as Peter and John are beginning to spread their wings in spirit-filled ministry, the first thing that comes on them is, oh my goodness, this is not about us. And so if ever you see something that is being billed as spirit-filled ministry, but the focus is on the person and not Jesus, you know something is off kilter. The plumb line has been moved. Why are you staring at us? This is about Jesus. Now, there's another layer of refocus that's necessary. Peter's very aware that what now has to take place in light of this sign and this wonder is that people need to see who they really are. They need to refocus themselves because they're not aware of what's in them. And, and this happened in Peter's life. He, he understands this, right? You remember Peter in the boat with Jesus? When Jesus wanted to fish and Peter didn't, he'd been out all night, hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing. And everything in Peter's fisherman mind, body wants to say, hold on. This world will be so much better if I fish and you preach. Because this is not the time to fish and there's nothing out there. I've been out all night. I just want to go home. Reluctantly, he goes out to prove to Jesus there's no fish. You know the story. Jesus says, hey, throw your net over here. Peter does, pulls it in, expecting it to be empty. It's so full, the nets begin to tear. He's got to call his buddies. When they get there, there there's so many fish, two boats begin to sink. Watch Peter's eyes in this story. Because he's a fisherman, and the first thing that's going to get his attention is the fish. But you can only look at the gift for so long before you look at the giver, right? So eventually, he's going to look at Jesus. He moves from the fish... To Jesus, But here's the beauty of Jesus. This is what happens when we focus on Jesus. In his eyes, we begin to see ourselves like we've never seen ourselves before. Peter saw the holy power of the man. And in those eyes, he saw how different he was from Jesus. Oh my goodness, Peter said, looking at Jesus. You have to leave because I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. We don't belong together, you and I. 
And the beauty of Jesus is that he didn't say, whoo, you are right about that, get me out of here, you're a mess. But it was right at that point Jesus said, he's basically saying, I know you, Peter, and here's the plan, follow me. I'm with you. Follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. That's our Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so Peter's wanting them to have that kind of refocus in their life. And that's why, man, I heard some of you kind of gasp. Because, man, in a culture that still prizes comfort in our churches, still kind of on the (laughs) edges of seeker sensitivity in America, make it as easy as possible for people to get to church and stay in church. This is such an unsensitive message, isn't it? You killed the author of life. You crucified the Holy One, the Righteous One. You did that, and you did it because you're evil, And you're ignorant. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You killed the author of life. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Sin. You killed the author of life. Sin. And I know that you acted in ignorance. You need to refocus and see the depths of your sin. That's the first thing that we see in this story. And then from refocus, the clear gospel message for spirit-filled ministry is repent. Repentance. That's the next thing, verse 19. In light of this evil, you killed the author of life. In light of this ignorance, if you would simply refocus and acknowledge that, And if that would lead you to repentance, then you won't believe what's unleashed for you. Repent. Look look at verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins (laughs) may be wiped out. All right, let me share a few things about that verse. First, repentance. Turn to God. Man, we need to acknowledge again, you've heard this, you've probably been in the church a long time like me, you know that repentance is not simply an acknowledgement of sin. Yeah, I messed up. Which, I, uh, preachers in my generation, I think we've kind of led you down the wrong pathway by focusing on the Greek word for sin, which literally means missing the mark. Missing the mark. That's the Greek word for sin. And to be honest with you, it doesn't really sound so bad, does it? I missed the mark. Oh, shoot. Tried to hit the bullseye just off to the left a little bit. Tried to sink the basket just off the rim. Oh, man, oh, well. I missed the mark. What we haven't, I think, faithfully presented to you is that Jesus was in Greek. It was Hebrew. And where Greek has one definition for sin, which is missed the mark, shucks. Hebrew has seven layers for sin that kind of end in moral worthlessness. 
And it's so much bigger than missing the mark. And that's what Peter's addressing here, repent. Because repentance isn't merely an acknowledgement, ah, I missed the mark, shucks. Repentance, biblically, is a complete 180 turn from sin. It's not, oh man, I'm going to wear this sin patch on my shoulder and I'm going to try to cut down a little bit. It is absolute turnaround, 180 degrees. That is repentance. Repent and turn to God. Total turn, right? 180 degrees. Now watch. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins... I love this. I'm using the New International Version. So that your sins, New International Version, may be, here it comes, wiped out. Man, I just took a pause there for a minute and realized, okay, New International Version, it's my preference. I think it's the clearest interpretation of the original language Greek New Testament. Uh, I like New International Version. I think it's the closest, in my opinion. Other people may disagree with that. That's fine. And and here's what I know, that there were a massive amount of some of the smartest people on the planet that translated the New International Version. So there had to come a point when they're trying to interpret what repentance will do so that, how should we interpret the Greek there? Someone pipes up and says, I think what the closest thing to the Greek is, is so that your sins may be wiped out. And the group said, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) Wiped out. I love that. Wiped out. Total turn in repentance. Total Wiped out. Total forgiveness. That's what repentance can do. So that your sins may be wiped out. That's what's possible. With a total turn in repentance. Refocus. Repentance. Now, watch what happens. Verse 19 again. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And this, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Well, what in the world is that? It sounds awesome, right? Times of refreshing. What what is that? Well, and as I kind of fought the fight to figure out this passage... I was flooded with memories of Asbury Theological Seminary where I'm so grateful that I learned from some extremely intelligent people what inductive Bible study looks like. Inductive Bible study, three basic steps. First, you observe. You see what is there in the verse and in the surrounding context. Then you interpret. Well, what does that mean in that context? And then you apply which is so helpful because so many of us read and want to jump 
right to application. Well, what does this mean for me? We're kind of focused in our own self-interest. How does this affect my life? And so we skip the observe and the interpret and just want to get right to the apply, and we miss so much. So I did that. I stayed right in the context, and that's when it clicked for me. Times of refreshing is this. It's Pentecost. So the times of refreshing, Peter's saying, look, you see all this? You got a man that was crippled from birth. He's walking and leaping and praising God. Thousands of people are coming to Christ every time we present the gospel. This is times of refreshing. It's Pentecostal power. It's what we've interpreted in church history as revival history. It's the manifest presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit bringing the kingdom fruit. It's this. It's Pentecost. And it's why it's so important for us to recognize that Acts chapter 2, the blessing of Pentecost is not a one-off. You can't read Acts and not see that. In just a few chapter, few verses, really, believers are going to be in a house praying, and the power of Pentecost is going to come on that house so that literally, literally, the house begins to shake with the power of God. Pentecost isn't a one-off. Peter's going to be in a Gentile's house named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Reluctantly, he's going to share the gospel there, in a house full of Gentiles. He's going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come, and the thing that's going to amaze him and cause him to explain his actions in Acts chapter 11 to the boys in Jerusalem about doing this in a Gentile's house, the thing that amazes him is that the Spirit comes again just like he did at Pentecost in Acts chapter 10. And then through the ministry of Paul, it happens in Ephesus and Antioch and Macedonia and Corinth and Greece and Rome. And you get to the end of the book of Acts and Paul now is under house arrest in Rome. The epicenter of the world, the Roman Empire. And for two years he has freedom to have people come and go. And he presents the gospel. Two years. And then the book ends. And if you're like me, you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I gotta know about that. I gotta know about those two years. What is happening while Paul is free to share the gospel under house arrest in Rome, people coming and going as they I know I need to know, I need a sequel. And man, the point I believe is that hey, this storyline. It's still going. And so now I get to celebrate that this storyline's continued in my heritage through the Wesleyan revival. All, all kinds of things happening between this and that, but it's just one. The Wesleyan revival, where Wesley took this same gospel, preached it outside of the churches because they put locks on the doors so that he couldn't get in focused on the poorest of the poor, the coal miners 
of his day. And according to the historical accounts, when he preached the gospel, people fell as though they were thunderstruck. It's the word Wesley used. Under the power of God. And that time of refreshing crossed the Atlantic to America. You see, what we're meant to see in this is that Pentecost isn't a one-off. And the storyline continues here. So the message is just as important. Refocus. And this isn't about us. This church isn't about you. 80% it's been reported of Americans believe the church exists to meet their needs. Not true. It's not about you. Refocus. Don't stare at us. This is about Jesus and his glory. And then refocus on yourself because you need him. Because there's sin and ignorance in there. So you need to repent and turn 180. Because if you will, total turn equals total forgiveness. Sins will be wiped out. And times of refreshing will come. Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing, it just keeps getting better. Verse 19 again. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Verse 20. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. Total restoration. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. All right. Man, this miracle, so important. The man that was crippled from birth standing right there. He is a sign and a wonder. And we get a glimpse as to why signs and wonders are happening and why they're important and why we should pursue them. This sign and their, this miracle, this sign and a wonder, a crippled man walking and leaping and praising God. Listen, the primary purpose of signs and wonders are twofold, and we see it right here. The first reason for signs and wonders, it awakens the lost. You got a whole crowd of folks that are engaged. Something's, something's going on here. We should figure this out. It awakens the lost so that they can hear the gospel and hopefully repent. Total turn, total forgiveness. That's the first reason for signs and wonders. The second, equally as important in my opinion. Signs and wonders not only awaken the lost, but they're meant to encourage the church, the believers. They're meant to get us in the right perspective. And that's why it's so important to me that this last verse is in the gospel message right after Pentecost. Listen, 
Here's why this has happened. So that you would repent, so that you could join in this time of refreshing, and so that he can send the Christ. He's pointing to the day of the Lord. And the reason for signs and wonders is to get the church once again in the perspective of, oh my goodness, this is why we're here. Because there's a day coming when Jesus will come back to this earth and perfectly rule and reign. He's going to restore everything. And that's the reason for this sign and this wonder, for the church to remember that. That's what we're headed towards. We don't get lost in self-interest. Oh, my goodness, why isn't everybody healed? Man, that's a mystery. I'm kind of stalled in my faith. No, 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 no. No. The sign and the wonder when it happens reminds us there's a day coming when everything is restored. And that is why the scripture calls the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, listen, our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope that one day the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that's why we're engaged. And that's why we'll stay faithful. The sign and the wonder happened so that this message could be given to the church. Repent. Turn. Totally, and your sins will be wiped out. Expect times of refreshing, Pentecostal power. This is the age that we're living in, so let's spread our wings. Let's believe. Signs and wonders. And when they come, they're to remind us that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand, slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting any of his little ones to perish. But the day of the Lord will come. And he's going to restore everything. So let me ask you. What's the right response to that? Come on. Exactly. What's the right? It's not... How dare you not honor my crippledness? The culture wants us to be okay with leaving people in their sin. How dare you not honor my crippledness? No, that's not what the church says. The church says, look, we don't have a whole lot of silver and gold. But here's what we do have, the name of Jesus. So rise up and walk.
The right response is not, man, thank you, Jesus. But the clock's ticking, and I've got alms to beg for. The right response is not to encounter Jesus and then go back to life as a beggar. The right response is not a tweet that starts with OMG. How nice. I was just healed. Thumbs up emoji. It's not the right response. The right response is walking and leaping and praising God. I'm going to show you a clip here in a minute that, man, it has wrecked me in an awesome, wonderful way. And it focuses on a message from Francis Chan. It's five minutes, and it's an excerpt audibly from a message from Francis Chan called Lukewarm and Loving It. It reminded me of my first little church in Kentucky when I was a seminary student, actually a college student. Mount Sterling, Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, little one-room church with an outhouse. I was there for five years. Oldest church west of the Allegheny Mountains in America. And it hadn't changed much since it started. And man, uh, I preached from Revelation 3, which is where Jesus says to Laodicea that they're lukewarm. And that he wished they were either cold or hot. I preached that message, but before I did, I handed out three-by-five cards. We didn't have a bathroom, so we didn't even have an overhead at that point. Uh, You can Google overhead if you're not sure what that is. (laughs) So I handed out three-by-five cards with simply cold and hot on it and a line in between. Everybody had pens and a card, and I asked them to put an X on the line where they thought their relationship was with Jesus. Cold, hot, line in between. Put an X. And then we sang a hymn. And I took their cards and transferred their X's onto a big post poster board with the same thing, cold and hot. And exactly what happened, I knew this would happen. Every one of the 30 people that were in that little church put their X right in the center of the line between cold and hot. We had 30 X's. in the center of that line. I um, shared about this Sunday when I had to preach in seminary. My seminary professor was angry at how I manipulated the people and actually said to the class about me, I would never go to his church. (laughs) What he didn't know is that sometimes... I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking these people are going to hell because they have no relationship with Jesus. And it was in that spirit that that sermon was given. And I felt that same thing in Chan's message, lukewarm and loving it. But it it has has, um, shaken me to my core about my own passion for Jesus And where I've been in the past in that passion and how consumed I am with so many other things. And so, man, I 
share this with you from a weak place, not a strong place. And with a cry in my heart for the fire of God in my soul and yours. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Be on fire for God right now. Down in my heart. See, my concern is that some of you in this room, many of you, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that you would probably say it about yourself, that you're lukewarm. If I were to ask you, okay, are you on fire for God right now or are you lukewarm? I think a lot of you would say you're lukewarm. What concerns me more than the fact that you're lukewarm is that some of you would say, yeah, I am lukewarm. And then you'll walk out the door and you'll do nothing about it. What concerns me the most is that some of you are lukewarm, you know you're lukewarm, but you want to be lukewarm. You've planned your life out this way. You, you've got enough God in your life. It's not like you don't, you don't want to be on fire. And it's crazy. Not only are you lukewarm, but that's the goal. You're lukewarm and you're loving it. And you hate for anyone to challenge you to be on fire for God. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Do you understand this passage? What is lukewarm equal? Spit out. Well, what does spit out mean? I mean, you know, can you explain that? Look at the words. Okay, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. Are, are these words that you normally use for a believer? I once was blind, but now I'm blind. You know, no, no, these are, un these are people who aren't saved. See, because if you get it, you won't be lukewarm. And you're comparing me, the Creator, the one who made the whole world, who spoke it into existence, and you're going, ooh, I don't know if I can give out this little thing on this piece of dirt for Him. He goes, that makes me sick. You make me want to gag. I just want to spit you out of my mouth. See, your riches have so blinded you that you think this stuff is good. You don't see it as dung. It's a big pile of crap. And you don't get it. You think it's actually good. It's all this great stuff. You've been blinded by it. He goes, and that just makes me sick. See, my, my, my concern is that, that people will see themselves as lukewarm, because we do this in church all the time. Yeah, lukewarm. And then 10 minutes later, you're going to forget about it. You move on in life, and I just go... What else is there to think about? Okay, so so you understand what lukewarm is, so you're gonna be spit out of the mouth of God, you you just go, okay. I go, man, you shouldn't do anything until you figure out how to be on fire for God. You should be down on your face, you shouldn't eat again until you come before God and just fast and pray, God get me on fire. I'm not on fire, you gotta get me on fire for you. I wanna be in love with you, I gotta see how valuable you are because all junk, you know, get me here. That should be all you care about. Don't go to work tomorrow if you're lukewarm. Man, sell your house. Just move. Live in the... Do whatever it takes. You can't end your life lukewarm. Do you get that?
just want us to take a minute and just let um, the Lord minister to us. We're going to worship in a moment because it's the right response. And I really hope that something is unlocked and unleashed in the midst of our worship, but I don't want to rush either. like the team to come and be ready to lead us. I wonder what uh, Maranatha's poster board would look like. Here's the beauty of the gospel message spirit-filled gospel message. In the midst of sin and ignorance, the spirit can empower you to turn. Repent. And that unlocks the windows of heaven for times of refreshing and aligns the church under the authority of our blessed hope. He'll restore everything. And the right response is fire, passion, joy, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we come in this name. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to this man, as you can all see. Acts chapter 4, there is no other name. So, we are ready to worship that name. And I pray that you would wipe out sin through repentance and pour out a time of refreshing so that all of our focus is on that blessed hope.
you will restore everything. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit.